Hello, welcome back to episode 33 of Two Pals on a Pod. This week, we have perhaps the worst serial killer of all time. It's the Ted Bundy podcast. I mean, this podcast, I knew going into it, it was going to be bad. I wasn't going into it thinking it'll be a laugh. But when you get through the detail of it, this is horrific. Like the manner in which he killed people, the amount of people he killed... I mean, this is really like one of the worst sort of murderers ever. Yeah, for me, it's in, in, in reading the descriptions and watching the documentaries of everything that went on. It's the verbs they use more than anything. They're not nice verbs. Rapes, pillaged, maimed, mm. and things like that. There's even bludgeoned. worse ones as well. Bludgeoned. This bludgeoned is the one they love, isn't it? It's it. not particularly pleasant stuff. And honestly, I feel so stupid because... This guy is an absolute psycho, one of the most kind of notorious of all time. And the only thing that I knew about him was that Zac Efron played him in a, in a biopic that they did a couple of years ago. And to be fair, there's an interesting likeness between them both. They got the casting perfect. Do you think? But that's, yeah, I, th- I can see it's in the eyes. It's in the eyes. But that's the only thing that I knew about about, about Ted Bundy before this was yeah. that he was played by Zac Efron. And then I delving did. into it, I was absolutely horrified. Well, that's the thing. I Like like you said, I didn't know the details of it either, particularly but other than he was a serial killer. But when you go into it, I mean, there's just so many murders it's ridiculous. I mean, which probably a little bit of an overview and then we'll get into his early life and go through the whole story. But I mean, he was a psychology major, first of all, worked at Seattle's uh, suicide hotline trying to save lives. Right? He worked at the suicide hotline and he was described as kind and empathetic. And one of the people working there even said, I would have let him care for my kids. I mean, so it's clear already that this is a guy who's probably, you know, getting into almost like the the bosom of the system, getting into the, the middle of the system, perhaps to try and learn or, you know, improve his own skills, these kind of things, find out how to manipulate people, what, what the right things to say when interactive people are. This is the guy who's really trying to play the game. Yeah, from the vibe that I get, especially when delving into the cases themselves and the tactics that he used to say, get women into his car, shall we say. They're not necessarily violent. He just, he's got a man with a lot of charm and a lot of charisma, it seems like to me. And having watched his interviews as well, you can kind of see that, that the, the, the modus operandi for him, he wouldn't necessarily use force in order to apprehend women. He would lure them in and then use force once he'd done that. So there's a lot of charisma there. And I would call him a sociopath. I think he's quite mm-hmm. sociopathic. He knows what he's doing. He was even working for, um, he was part of the team that, that at first in Seattle was investigating the missing women that he was yeah. abducting as well, which is quite interesting because I don't know whether that is to prevent progress being made in these cases or whether he, because he had a he had a habit of revisiting bodies after murdering them, whether he just got off on the, the idea that he was at the centre of these investigations and he was the perpetrator. Yeah, I think it's that thrill, that, that excitement of it, I think that he'd probably got off on. Um, but it's, it's unbelievable, like the, the person that's described here, really. I mean, w- was he doing this to make himself a, a better killer? Was it like a wolf, wolf in sort of sheep's clothing type thing? Um, in, interesting, like, again, we're just going through sort of the quick overview. He confessed to 30 murders. Police believe it's probably closer to 100 I mean, imagine that today, like a hundred people killed and like only just managing to get convicted. Like that's a lot of people to, before getting any like conviction. It's ridiculous. And, and I think that, that one of the first things I learned about this case is that, you know, when you look at the raw numbers, it's not actually known when he started murdering mm. because he would tell different people, different investigators, different dates. So I dare say he doesn't know himself. He's that caught up in committing these acts. He's not sure, you know, would I count this one in 1969 as a murder? I'm not sure, you know, she survived, you know, like things like that. It's crazy. The absolute monstrosity of everything that he was doing isn't lost on on anybody as well. So he wasn't actually active for that long uh, out there. Like most of his crimes were committed between 74 and 78. But honestly, some of the, I'm taken aback by some of the detail, to be honest. It's it's gruesome. 
Do you think that he, I mean, you said, we, we said before that about him, you know, he's considered to be charismatic and that kind of thing. Um, do you think he was a looker? Some people thought he was a looker. I don't know if he is. For all the likeness to Zac Efron, I would with Zac Efron. I mean, he was my gay awakening with Zac mm. Efron that we touched on last week. That last episode, yeah. I wouldn't with Bundy, but I can see the likeness. Yeah, I don't know. For me, I don't know, just not a looker. I, I wouldn't. I mean, is that because you know what he did though with the maiming and the raping and the pillaging and the bludgeoning and all this? No, just I don't think it's that good look. I mean, he's better looking than me, but that's not saying much, is it? So it's like, you know, I think this is the thing, right? We're getting a little bit off topic, but we will get on to Bundy, I promise. I think it's just the dark hair thing. If you're dark haired, you can get away with anything by, by the looks of it. Like, you can really? honestly, you can be any, you can look any way. If you've got dark hair, you're fine. But at the end, anyway, let's get on with his early life. What if I've got an objection to that statement? No, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not taking it. I'm not taking it. Bundy was raised by his grandparents as their son, and his mum was raised as his older sister. And he only found this out later. Imagine, right, growing up in a household where you think your granddad is actually your dad. You think your mum is actually your older sister. I mean, that is like so backwards because his dad left early and they sort of, because there was a stigma around, I think, um, being a single mum or something like that, Mm. they decided to make it seem as if that was the family structure instead. I think that would be the single most fucked up episode of Long Lost Families I've ever seen. You know, the show where they reunite. Have you seen Long Lost Families before mm-hmm. where they reunite the families together and adopted people and whatnot? That would be fucked up. I don't know whether it has much to do with what he did later or not. I mean, it's your formative years of being sold a lie, but not only a lie, it's just weird. Like imagine playing out with your sister. It's actually your mum. I think it's 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 crazy. And, and it's he, crazy. he later went on to sort of say that he resented his mum for not talking about his dad and leaving him in the dark about who his real parents were. And you can understand that. But I mean, also it was it was, it was his dad that left. Like you know, probably should resent him if anyone. But I can also understand like that would be to not know that you know who your actual mum is and to grow up thinking that your parents are these people and actually. No, they're not your parents. They're actually your grandparents and your older sister. Actually, no, that's your mum there. That's your mum, your older sister. So that whole thing, I don't know how that happens. I mean, that's got to really sort of mess you up in the first place. It's an interesting conversation to have over turkey twizzlers or whatever you have for dinner, isn't it? Yeah, he he later found that out himself. It wasn't even like they told him. He he found that out himself apparently when he found his birth certificate or something. Um, Interesting though, Bundy exhibited disturbing behaviour as a kid. And this is coming from his mum's younger sister, Julia. She woke up one day from a nap and she was surrounded by knives from the kitchen and three-year-old Ted smiling. (laughs) Imagine that. So three-year-old. How is he going to the kitchen drawers at three? Why are you going into the kitchen drawers at three and picking out something as as horrible and as a knife? Why not go for a spoon? Something that's completely harmless. Knives are inherently harmful. Why is three-year-old Ted looking at a knife and going, that's something I'm attracted to? And where's that coming from at three? Yeah, I think it goes to say that there's a lot to be said about the nature-nurture debate. Some people are just tapped. They're wrong from the get-go. Maybe Maybe it's just a genetic thing. Maybe, who knows? But interestingly, he was also supposedly, and again, some of these things are debated a little bit, uh, but like he was raised by his granddad, who was supposedly a bully. He used to beat his wife, the family dog, and apparently used to swing neighbours' cats around by their tails. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm not a huge cat fan, but I'd never do that. Why are you doing that? 
No, I wouldn't go so far as a, a Kurt Zuma. That's a no, niche reference, and a niche football reference. But I think being exposed to that at that age almost normalizes that behavior because you're not to know. You've got no moral code at that age. I mean, naturally, Ted is somebody that's attracted to knives, it seems like. But beyond that, like the environment that you're in has a, a big impact on those formative years. And being exposed to this behavior, whether it's wife beating, cat swinging, anything else that's absolutely abhorrent, you're going to think that's normal from a very young age, especially if you're, well, he wasn't exactly lacking a father figure. It's just his father figure with his granddad. But mm. you kind of, young men, especially in that time, in that era, idolize their father figures. So he's going to go around thinking that that's okay. Not only that, he's going to go around thinking that that's behavior that he wants to exhibit himself. There's a bit of psychology for you there as well. Mm, well, there is, yeah. You got maybe, maybe you're a psychology major as well. That's where the similarities end. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know what point you get into your 60s or 70s as a, as a grandparent and you just think, oh, I'm going to start swinging cats around my head like that. <laughs> Given all that, I don't know. What point does that become a good thing to do? I don't know. Bizarre. If you think that's weird, just wait until we start discussing what Ooh, Ted yeah. gets up to when he grows up. We, well, let, let's get on to it. Let's get on to his first <laughs> spree. As I How's that for a segue? It's a very good segue. As we said before, the exact date of Bundy's first killing is not known. It could be 69, it could be 71, or it could be when he was 14 years old. I don't know if you read about this, but there's some claims that he might have done, might have killed people when he was a kid, or when he was 14. Apparently, he did a particular paper round circuit, and one of the young girls on this paper round circuit in one of the families went missing. I think was later found, the body was later found, and no killer was ever found, but they did find a footprint not belonging to the girl, which was a not an adult footprint. It was a footprint of a child. And they think that could Ted Bunny have done that when he was 14, doing his paper round or something happened there? I mean, looking at what he got up to after that, I definitely wouldn't bet against it. I mean, the trajectory is there. Yeah. And I think those things are bred into people from a very, very young age. I don't think it's something that, I don't think tomorrow morning, either me or you is going to wake up and think that that's an acceptable thing to do. It's not really something that you just do on impulse. If you do it on impulse, you do it on impulse over and over and over again, if that makes sense. Well, it's a repeated pattern of behaviour. Yeah, the thing that doesn't make sense to me about this is, obviously, the first documented killing, he's 27 years old. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know, what, when you become a serial killer, I don't know if you do it at 27. I, I feel like there's got to be something before then. There's like got to be sort of a build-up to that, surely. I don't know, like, you don't just suddenly start going, 27 now, blowing out the 27 candles. Yeah. Better do some serial killing. I don't think it works like that. That's why I think there must have been something before then. Yeah, surely. I think. And the fact that we don't know the full extent of what he got up to after, so there's like 30 confirmed, but they think it's closer to 100, means that there's probably gaps in knowledge before the murder that they think is the first murder as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't just think that Ted's a bit of a late bloomer. Yeah. And he just started murdering people at 27. I think that there's probably a trail of people before. I dread to think of how many. They're never going to know. They're never yeah. going to find. They're never going to find the, the remains, are they? they? They they admitted that there's murders that they know that he committed that they haven't found the bodies for. So they're not going to be all over the the numbers, are they? And they're not going to have full knowledge of, of every single thing he did. He didn't admit to everything for sure. Well, I think it tells you a lot that there's a list online of people that he's not admitted to killing, but it's suspected. Like it's sort of yeah. Well, we don't know what Ted was up to during this period of time. It was yeah. in his rough location. We yeah. Never found the body. Probably him. It's as simple as him rocking up in a by a university campus for six months and across the course of those six months women go missing that is unexplained and then he moves to another state and women start going missing there as well and connecting the dots 
It's probably Bundy, isn't it? Probably yeah. Bundy. Once again, we're looking at a case where the, the police response was left a lot to be desired as well. Yeah, and we'll definitely we'll see that, that. That becomes a common theme throughout this, really. I mean, it, it seems like the first documented killing is in April 1974, where he stops attending classes um, at law school uh, as young women begin disappearing. So that's in, that's in April 1974. I think it's then yeah. January 1974, actually. So a little bit before then, darts entering a basement a basement apartment, basically, seems to be like the, the sort of route that he seems to enter different people's apartments. It always seems the basement ones to begin with. And this is the apartment of 18-year-old uh, Karen uh, Sparks, I think is her name. And he yeah. bludgeons her with a metal rod and then sexually assaults her with this same rod. But I think she is unconscious for 10 days, but does go on to survive that. She survives it, yeah. She survives it somehow. I think, I think that the, the thing that I read said that she survived it, but with internal injuries, and then you realise that she's been sexually assaulted with a metal rod, and you think mm -hmm. about the extent of those injuries. It's, it's, it's rather shocking, isn't it? But in this period of time where he's committing these murders, he's committing these murders in, it's in around Oregon and Washington, so two states in the, the northwest of, of, of the US where he's studying, and where I think he's from as well. And the, the one thing that is that unites all of the people that go missing or that he murders around this time, they're all undergraduates, they're all women, they're all white, and they all have dark hair and middle partings. That's what oh, I, I didn't read. know that part. That's one thing. He had a thing for middle partings. Uh, so much so that his girlfriend at the time, anytime she tried to get a new haircut that would involve a side parting, he'd get very upset, apparently, mm. which is interesting behaviour. But that's the one thing that united all these people that were going missing. Yeah, that's how you know it's Ted. It's got his fingerprints all over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's a clear sort of... Um, a I don't know what they, what they call it when there's like a clear sort of common theme between like the different killings and the, but also it supposedly may well stem from, I think he had a breakup with one of his girlfriends or something. And it seems like that might have had some bearing on it as well. Like the way he was broken up with his, right. with his girlfriend. And apparently that might have caused some issues there, which again, you can understand, but I mean, there's like a, a real clear misogyny throughout this whole sort of, period like he's clearly has an absolute hatred of a specific type of woman and that is the one that he's targeting time and time again i read somewhere as well that, that in the first six months of 1974 on average one woman per month went missing so he was quite prolific in this area and from the get-go the police were playing catch-up they were on the back foot from the get-go so much so that i think when they went to investigate one of these women that went missing she went missing down an alleyway didn't she and bundy turned up the day after to collect a couple of earrings and a shoe that he left behind of hers before he murdered her while the police were there investigating the alleyway mm -hmm. so they're there cordoning it off and he's just got absolute free reign and is there collecting any pieces of evidence that he might need himself to make sure that he can carry on committing these murders it's, uh, it's a bit ridiculous. Yeah, it, it does get ridiculous where it's just clear that the police are, are so far behind. They just don't have enough evidence at all. And the whole thing just becomes an absolute mess on their part. And more and more women just keep getting killed time and time again. I mean, you've got to look like that was the start of January, I think, was when the first documented killing. Then it's February the 1st, another basement room. He beats yeah. her unconscious then dresses her in jeans and a blouse and carries her away. It's like she's some sort of doll, like some sort of toy. And this is a common theme with like that control and power. Yeah. Like there are a number of times where he will add makeup to the bodies. Like these women are dead and he's putting makeup on them, doing the hair, washing the hair, these kind of things. Shampooing and things like that. It becomes that. a ritual for him. Yeah, because he, he said that uh, when a woman is dead, you can make her into anything. And it's about the, the control you're right. It's about the... These women are fully subjugated under me only when 
they're murdered and they can't say no. That's a, an insight into him, his kind of thinking. It's weird to think how anybody could be in that mindset of doing that and handling dead bodies like in that way and doing it and then revisiting the corpses that you've hidden time and time again sometimes three or four times of these women it's just a really sadistic thing to do and sometimes he'd have to drive six hours or so like out of town to find where he'd hidden this body just so he could go reapply makeup to it or just so he could go view the corpse I think he was getting a kick out of it, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how he managed it. Like, genuinely don't know how he managed to, like, to be going all, like, all the driving he was doing. I mean, I don't know how much fuel was back then. He must have had good time management as well. Like, how is he doing this? Because like you Probably. say, some of them are, like, hundreds of miles away. Like, yeah. how, how are you doing this on, like, a regular basis? Alongside a degree as well, his time management is... is like, I know. If, if, if we're going to praise one aspect of his life, maybe it's his time management. Because also, he's working... The thing is, this guy was working... I think we touched on it. He's working part-time jobs as well at this point. Mm. So he's working for... um. Seattle crime prevention team or something like that and he actually co-authored a pamphlet on rape prevention yeah which is mental and then he goes to work for another like a government department involved in investigating women that have been going missing so he's investigating his own crimes <laughs> it's mental it's mental like he was definitely getting a kick out of it. There's no way he wasn't doing it out of the goodness of his own heart. He's a monster. And then March 12th and April 17th, two more women go missing. Um, these two female students come forward to report encounters with a man in a sling who was asking for help carrying books to his car. So now we're getting to this sort of, he's almost playing with it now. He's beginning his sort of, he's gone into basement, basement apartments and done horrific things, but now he's almost turning this into a bit of fun for himself, a bit of game, of a game for himself. He's dressing up. He's putting yeah. on a sling now. And now it's becoming this really horrific, horrific game of like manipulating people through kindness, through sort of, oh, can you help me? Can you just do this nice little act for me? That kind of thing. I mean, yeah. that's one way of praying people, which is just awful, isn't it? And it's something that actually inevitably leads to his downfall as well, because he keeps on going out with a sling or on crutches. And it's something that's actually quite distinctive in public and helps the police build some kind of profile of him. So that's where he starts to slip up. Uh, but also he did, I think it's a jumping forward a couple of months to July. In broad daylight, he kidnapped two women from a beach mm. in broad daylight. And he tried, he lured them in by saying, oh, I need to get my sailing boat out of the boot or the trunk, because we're in America, the trunk of my car. But he slipped up there because we're in broad daylight on a beach. And he'd actually approached and been knocked back by, I think, four or five women at this point. And he was introducing himself as Ted. Was like, mm. I'm Ted. I am Ted. I need, I need, I need some help getting my sailboat out of my car. He only had one car, this infamous kind of VW Beetle, which is actually quite a notorious car, quite an obvious looking car. So by this point, this is July 1974, and he's approaching people on this beach using his real name, using his car. The police already by this point, it's important to, to, to bear in mind, have a good idea of his name, Ted. He's not pretending. His car, the VW Beetle, and, you know, the area in which these things are taking place in the, the kind of northwest of, of the US, there's already things that are linking together these, these kind of cases that the police maybe should have been looking at, because already by now, they have such a good kind of clear picture of what is going on here and who is doing it. And he's even putting on a sling a few times, like he's walking around in a sling. It takes him so long from here to catch him, even yeah. by this point. You can feel like he's almost sort of deliberately trying to play with danger as well, because like you say, didn't bother even changing his name. I mean, no. part, part of him probably enjoyed that again, back to the thrill of it, 
you know, he's, he's probably going to kill most of these people. He's, he doesn't even really care. Like he's, you know, right. putting on similar disguises a lot of the time or like putting slings on or whatever. And it's like, this was a guy who was really just in getting a huge thrill out of this. This was one big game to him. I mean, to get to the point where you're dressing up as like police officer or, you know, getting to the point where you're putting like a, a, a cast on your leg and that kind of thing and the crutches yeah. and all those kind of things. He's turned this this murdering, this serial killing into a game of himself. This is like some yeah. sort of pub run. Do you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. doing like this kind of thing from killing to killing, like dressing up, fancy dress, having a good time, like really enjoying himself. It's ridiculous. Like how anyone can be in this mindset. It's mental. And I talk about that the two women that he murdered uh, from the beach in broad daylight. And apparently according to reports, he made one of the women watch while he murdered the other one mm. so it's absolutely sick he's committing these sick acts and i think three or four people come forward and say that sounds like ted bundy one of them is his girlfriend his girlfriend comes forward to grass him into the police one of them's a colleague from uh, the department that he worked for and one of them's one of his professors so you've got three or four people coming forward to the police saying that sounds like ted bundy mm. you know he, ted drives that car ted is called ted ted looks like that and the police refused to believe it because he was a, a law student, as if a law student would never. You know, you'd expect a law student to have a good grasp of the law and they maybe would break it. You know, Ted, Ted would never. Ted studies law. He's a well-read law student. He'd never do this. What kind of critical thinking are we using here? The police? Yeah, it's just, it is ridiculous, the whole thing. Like, they just didn't seem willing at all to even investigate the amount of people who called up and said it probably said Bundy like it just they didn't bother I appreciate they're obviously getting a lot of people calling in and that kind of thing but I don't know like when people are pushing it that much when people that know him are pushing it that much you should probably listen to them you know um but we should we should talk about the few killings that happened in June as well we'll just quickly go back to these so there's a one person called Brenda she was like 22 years old uh, she was last seen in a parking lot talk, talking to a brown-haired man uh, with his arm in a sling June 11th student disappears walking down a brightly lit alleyway between her boyfriend's dorm and her house so that's the alleyway that we're referring to and the, the next day detectives found no evidence in this alleyway Bundy later then said um, he'd lured her into his car and knocked her unconscious with a crossbow handcuffed her strangled her spent the night with the body before then returning to that same alleyway the next morning in the middle of a crime scene yep. and then to, re to recover her earrings and a shoe yeah. I mean how it's... can you kill somebody go back to the crime scene they're investigating it that's is the investigation's there and he's there taking evidence that yeah. they've not found it's a completely exasperating isn't it the fact that that the police were there in that alleyway at the time and bundy was there collecting the evidence that the police were looking for is crazy it's crazy there's no other word for it it's, it's a bit mental after this point it seems like witnesses are starting to come forward to like identify who they seem because one thing that as we sort of touched on before he's not really disguising any of this like he's sort no. of Doing it kind of out in the open. I appreciate CCTV isn't going to be a thing back then. And, the, you know, the DNA testing isn't really a thing back then. But it's interesting how it's just, like, out in the open. It's not really luring them to, like, a forest somehow, like, just at a car park, you know, on campus, whatever. At this point as well, besides the sling, he's not even getting creative with his disguises. Later on, we'll see him cosplaying as a, a fireman, a mm. police officer, and experimenting with different names. But as of now, he's just playing old Ted Bundy. I mean, a, a, a sling isn't a disguise, is it? It's a means to lure people in. So he, plain as day, he's out there committing these murders, turning up to the crime scene after, returning to the, where he's placed the bodies, 
And there are people that are close to him saying, it's Ted Bundy, it's Ted Bundy, it's Ted Bundy. And the police just aren't listening. Because Ted Bundy studies law, he's a law student. Yeah, he wouldn't do that, would he? He wouldn't. Yes, he fits everything we're looking for, but come on, he's a law student. Interestingly, during this period, Bundy works as an assistant director of the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Commission, as you mentioned. Um, and he was writing a pamphlet for women uh, on, on rape prevention as well. So we, again, just ridiculous um, stuff that, that was happening. Imagine that happening now, a guy writing a pamphlet on that. Just would never happen. A rapist. Imagine yeah. a rapist writing a pamphlet on rape prevention. Uh, reports of the six women began to spread uh, across uh, America into different states. Hitchhiking by young women dropped sharply, which I think hitchhiking is an interesting one because it's not really something that's been that, it's not really been a part of this generation. I don't know if it was an American thing or like a 60s, 70s thing, but it seemed like a thing at one point. Yeah, I've never seen, I've never been driving on a motorway. I've never seen anybody, you know, they traditionally hitchhikers stick their thumb out by the side mm-hmm. of the motorway, don't they, to, uh, to make sure that you know that they're hitchhiking. But I've never seen that myself. I've only seen it in movies in America. I think there's less need for it here isn't it so we're a smaller country i imagine but yeah there's nothing maybe maybe bundy killed off hitchhiking for good anyway maybe it's not a cultural maybe. thing maybe it's just the fact that ted bundy was going around absolutely maiming anybody any woman that came into sight yeah. maybe that maybe he's responsible for the death of hitchhiking the hitchhiking Shame. stock fell because of bundy i think in oregon and washington murders uh, culminated on july the 14th with two abductions in broad daylight at a crowded beach so we obviously went through the Two people were abducted. Interestingly, five uh, female witnesses described an attractive young man, debatable, but with his Subjective. arm wrestling. So in the eye of the boulder. Yeah, it is. I mean, five of them as well, all agreeing on that. I don't know. Yeah. A little bit iffy. I'm suspicious. Um, but he had an, his arm in a sling again. Same thing. He just keeps trying it. Introduced himself as Ted and was asking for help unloading that sailboat. Four of them refused, interestingly. And I wonder why that was. Was it the look of him? Was it because of these these things that were circulating yeah i think probably the news had a lot to because especially like it made state level news mm-hmm. and bundy's still in in the same state that he's been in all along so i dare say they probably caught wind of what was going on and were maybe they, they didn't they maybe didn't suspect it was him but they were being extra cautious i imagine yeah one of them did go one of them did go with him before fleeing as she approached the vehicle and saw no sailboat in sight so you can imagine, not even trying at this point like, yeah, you can imagine the fear of that like you've agreed to go help this guy you suddenly walk to the boat and you have that moment. I mean, unbelievable to even have that moment of like, oh God, there's no sailboat, let's run, that kind of thing. Some people would have just been too busy in conversation or too busy focusing on like where the walkers or whatever. Have I would have moment. I would have been. <laughs> yeah, you would have been. Stop it, Ted. Chit chatting away. Where do you say you're from again? What are you uh, studying? What's your number? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's interesting that one person went to help him and then she ended up fleeing, but he stays at the beach. But he keeps yep. trying to do this. Like, this is not, again, I would have thought if you're someone that's fleeing from that situation, you think, oh, yeah, this is dodgy. Maybe go tell somebody, maybe go make yeah. a big deal of a big commotion, that kind of thing. He stays there. He stays there. I Three more. Bundy didn't care. No, he didn't care at all. Three more witnesses saw him approach a 23 year old Janice with the sailboat story. She left with him. Four hours later, another woman was abducted as she went to the bathroom. He forced, um, basically forced one to watch the other uh, be killed, yeah. as, as we mentioned before. But until this point, police refused to release any details to the press about witnesses. That's the big thing there not releasing details to the press. If you say, we've seen a guy, brown hair, sling, supposedly look, a good-looking guy, he's saying X, Y, and Z to people, stay on the lookout, stay vigilant. They didn't. I just don't know why, though, because at this point, even though Bundy's giving them the runaround, there's nothing particularly for the police to be embarrassed about at this point, because I think if they came forward and they said, we know this about him, they know enough about him in order to get him, I would say. 
because everything has been concentrated in these two states in the northwest of America, and they've got a very clear picture of who he is. The police at this point have no reason to be embarrassed, shall we say. Mm. Serial killing back then was not pretty common, but it's more common than it was now because of the, the advances in technology. The police have nothing to be ashamed of, so I don't know what their motive was for, for, for not coming forward with this information, if that makes sense. Supposedly to, to not harm the investigation was their sort of way of phrasing it, but I mean, I don't know if it harms the investigation. I think it you know, clearly in hindsight, we know that it would have helped surely get, you know, prevent people dying. I just can't see in any which way it would have a harm an investigation to have everybody on alert for this man that you've got an accurate description of. You've even got a name and you've got the car that he drives. Mm, doesn't really make, uh, make, make a lot of sense. Uh, police finally get a sketch and description of the car made public. Uh, an employee at Bundy's work recognised the profile and the car. So I think they had a sketch of Bundy, rough sketch of Bundy. Um, obviously they didn't know it was Bundy and they also had details of his car and so somebody at the work, his work gets in contact to the police and reports Bundy but as, as we said police thought it was unlikely which again it's like oh god and when someone's saying I know a person who looks like that and he's got that car that, let's at least take it seriously and it wasn't just um, the employee from work as well it was a, one of his professors and his girlfriend mm. were also coming forward at a similar time and saying this is Ted Bundy but because they were having such a high volume of suspects, I don't think that they could have the time to look past like some kind of character reference. And with him having no previous convictions and with him being a student, they thought nothing of it. But I mean, if somebody's girlfriend is coming to you going, that's my boyfriend doing that. And I think your ears prick up if you're if you're a detective, your ears pick up, they prick up a bit, don't they? I think yeah, it was not. it was like they just had this sort of vision of like we look almost like a cartoon like vision of what a serial killer must be like. No, they're not a law student, are they? They they must look like this. And it's like well, you can't just dismiss everything. You can't have blinkers on yeah. to any other possibility than the one you want it to be. Like the only burglars are the people out there in stripes, yeah. t-shirts with a swag bag over their shoulder yeah. or whatever. Like Maybe it's just not, not how it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just not how it works. No, is it? it's like it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, two months later, three skeletal remains were found, and six months later students discovered schools of four women where Bundy uh, frequently hiked so obviously hiding like bodies in the mountains they're finding skull and, and skeletal remains at this point and in August 1940, uh, 1974 Bundy moves to Salt Lake City to take his first year law curriculum again at Utah University so He's still getting failing. to grips with it yeah, still getting no. to grips with what's acceptable in the eyes of the law obviously it do it again like it. Sounds like I might need to reset this. It's almost <laughs> as if he's been spending too much time murdering, and that's why he's failed. Yeah. And hiking as well. And which hiking. Is good, which is good for the mind. Good to have pastimes. Maybe obviously. not his, though. But yeah, so he now has to go, he, he now wants to go resit it, but he's changed states, which conveniently helps him because he's getting a little bit of heat, which is really what, if you think about it, is what a lot of serial killers do. Things get a little bit too hot, change location. Different police forces in different states. It's as simple as that. And back then they just didn't have the, the pooling of the resources. Because mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that the FBI aren't even involved at this point. They get involved a bit later on, but they they have the authority to transcend state boundaries because it's obviously it's a, it's a federal agency. But for the minute, it was just the, the Washington and the Oregon police, state police forces that were involved. So why not up sticks and move? But stay in contact with your girlfriend, though. That's what always he does, good. Always, always healthy. As he moves states now, more killings begin the following month, and two, including two that remained undiscovered at this point until... Bundy confessed to them before his death so that's sort of the scale of the killings these were two people that were they, they, were, they didn't know about them at all until the moment before moments before Ted Bundy was ended up being killed it just tells you like they were completely unaware of these things a lot of these things are happening how many more could there have been between those two bodies going missing 
and him being executed, I put that a bit of mental mass, 14 years they had to mm. find those bodies and didn't between him committing, killing those bodies, killing those bodies, committing those crimes and being executed 14 years. And, and they, they just didn't, they didn't have a clue about any of them. And yeah. even after his death, they come out and they go, well, we, he says, you know, we, 30 confirmed, but it's probably about 100. That's 70 women. Yeah. 70 women that I had no idea about. But... 70 families that have no answers and that kind of thing. 70 yeah, bodies that have never been found. It's awful, awful. Um, then you got September the 2nd. Um, he then raped and strangled an unidentified hitchhiker disposing of the body in a river. And the woman is still not known. So again, like, they know someone was killed. Don't know who it was. An unidentified hitchhiker. So, like, again, just things like this. So it's like just women just disposed of like this, like used and abused in this way. It's just absolutely awful. October 2nd, abducts a 16-year-old girl. Now, this is a slight... I felt, felt like this was a slight change in pattern. Like, there is some talk of, like, abducting children or trying to abduct, uh, abduct a 12-year-old, I think, at one point as well. This is a 16-year-old that he abducts, and her remains were buried... Um, but were never found. Again, just more people just not found. It's quite interesting. It's, it's actually quite tactical. I don't know whether it's on purpose, but obviously he's moved now to Salt Lake City. It was in Utah in the, the in America. And he's committing crimes again. These crimes that we talk about now are being committed across the course of three states, right? Idaho, Utah, and Colorado, which are all neighboring states, but they're all very, very rural. So there's ample room for him. If he's a man that likes hiking, yeah, go hiking. But there's also ample space for him to dispose of these bodies as well. And that's mm -hmm. why we don't know the, the full extent of, of what is going on here. And obviously all the kind of benefits for him that come from committing crimes across state boundaries means that it's easy for us to look back retrospectively and sit here now and connect the dots and say, they these murders had this in common and this in common. But you've got completely different police forces investigating them that are unable to connect the dots because they're different police forces that aren't in contact with each other at this moment in time. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable how they don't really even at this point even seem to be onto his trail at all. Like there's no, no. like no like sort of evidence that they're following. It doesn't seem to be that high up on the radar kind of thing. It's just unbelievable how this is just happening so frequently. Imagine what it must have been like around this time to be just having people getting abducted. Obviously, news doesn't probably spread in the same way it does now back back in the sort of seventies, but even and still there must have been some talk of this guy's yeah. going around and i imagine especially when he was out in in seattle in uh, washington because a lot of those murders were going on in and around university campuses mm -hmm. word would spread there be careful so. there's a man about that's doing that like it's, and if he's if he's abducting one a month and there's a pattern word would spread there and obviously it was reflected in women changing their behavior but at this moment in time these women have got nobody to protect them because the police are hapless aren't they as mm. we've kind of established here october 18th 17 year old daughter of a police chief goes missing her nude body was found in the mountains nine days later could have been alive for seven days i mean the, the list just continues on and on throughout october there's three killings here october 31st 17 year old laura disappeared after leaving a cafe just after midnight her naked body was found by hikers i mean it's just constant police failure like there's just women just yeah. girls in this case dying like three in, a, in this month and it's, not it's playing catch up. It starts getting a bit close to home as well, because isn't this the one where ugh, there's so many murders that it's hard to keep track? But around this time, one of the women that he murders is the daughter of the police, head of the police in a yeah. local town, something mm -hmm. like that. So it's even to start, it's even starting to hit home now. Uh, and still they don't know, they're absolutely clueless. And right now he's obviously changed locations, but right now a pattern is starting to emerge once again here. And these were the murders where he started to shampoo their hair after uh, murdering them. No conditioner though, low effort. Yeah. Not bothered. Sure. Not bothered about that. Yeah. Um, and applying makeup as well, uh, which is is all 
part of a control. I think Bundy himself said that, didn't he, when he was on death yeah. row, that he enjoyed the idea of controlling these women. And you, you can only truly control a woman when she's dead. It's interesting how they suddenly become a bit more frequent, though, because it had been sort of more once a month, maybe twice a month occasionally, but October it's three times. And then he does it again at the start of November as well, November 8th, impersonating a police officer. He tells 18-year-old Carol someone had tried to break into a car, asked her to accompany him to the station. Carol's in the car at this point, thinking she's with a police officer. Carol then points out to Bundy that he wasn't driving the right way towards the station. He pulls over and tries to handcuff her. And during the struggle, he accidentally fastens both handcuffs to the same wrist. So Carol's able to open the door and escape. How scary must that have been? I mean, that's not even not even knowing the, who this man is. Yeah. It's a scary, uh, it's a scary kind of experience. But the the, the, the most mind-blowing thing that I find about this is you think that that's quite a setback for Bundy. You think that he would be deterred by that, wouldn't you? What's mm. he doing later that evening? About 20 kilometers away. At it again. At it again. This time he's at a school's theater production. Mm-hmm. At a school's theater production, scouting out potential victims. Well, this is the thing. It's clear that he's not got his kick out of that, that last one because that last yeah. one didn't go right. But like you say, you would have thought logically, well, that didn't go right. I better be careful. Maybe just take a week off, maybe. But it's clear, like, he has that urge now and he now needs to get that kill. And there's a few times here where similar things happen where something doesn't quite go to plan but he goes somewhere else and he then gets a, a kill or tries to kill somebody else. And it's interesting. It's a clear sort of urge that he's like trying to get, like he's trying to fulfill that, that urge. It's like you say, same evening, 17 year old Deborah disappears. Witnesses say that a stranger had asked a few individuals to come to the car park and identify a car. And it's just like, it's, it's using some of the tactics on these people, luring them to cars and killing them. And it's just absolutely awful what they must've gone through. But can't believe that he's you know, trying that second time that night. Again, just sort of almost deliberately trying to play with fire, I think, because he gets a bit more of a thrill out of it. He's obviously getting a kick out of getting away with it as well. And the more he's doing it, the more he's getting away with it. So the more he wants to do it. Mm. But this is a particularly interesting moment in the investigation because they find at the school the key to the handcuffs when you were talking about when he was impersonating a police officer and failed to detain... Was he, what was she called? Carol? Mm-hmm. Failed to detain Carol because he put both handcuffs on the same hand. The same risk. One idiot. It's basic stuff if you're a police officer, hasn't it? Like, that's, that's yeah, the police officer. Your actor's training, doesn't he? It's gonna say, doesn't even know where the police station is, obviously, by the sound of it. Yeah, sat nav. But they find the keys to those handcuffs at this school's theatre production. I think it's another one where the girl, 17-year-old, who's in the theatre production or at the theatre production, went missing. And I'm not sure if they ever found that body or not. I don't know. I'm yeah, not sure. I'm not sure on that I one think, either. I don't have any more information on that, I don't think. I think that's one where we assume that Bundy is there, woman goes missing, never to be found. You probably assume that he's done that. But on the same day, and they find the, the key to those handcuffs. So now is when they should start connecting the dots. But do they? No, do they, do they really, fuck? Doesn't seem like they do. Uh, in November, um, November, I think we're in still 74 here, uh, former girlfriend... Clofer, I'm going to call. Is that the right name? Clofer? Yeah, that's how I pronounce it. Clofer. Yeah. She calls police uh, a second time to report Bundy. So she's already reported at this point, months before. She's now getting contact again. She was interviewed and he had then therefore moved up the suspect's list by this point. But key witness, uh, the key witness that they had failed to spot him in a photo lineup. They had, they had a photo of him and the key witness, which they were like, the, this is the most prominent witness that we've got the most the one that we most believe and thinks got the best information didn't pick him out the photo lineup how, imagine how having that happen? in your conscience 
as that as that key witness that's bad it goes to show though like it it, it lends support to your hypothesis that he's not that attractive because he was that if he was that attractive his face would stick in your memory you know when you see a really attractive person on the street and they usually smell really nice as well so much so that as they walk past you and you get a whiff and you turn around and you go wow you know if bundy if bundy was as good as people you know as good looking as people hype him up to be then maybe that witness would have remembered him but then well it makes me wonder did she see a different guy or was the photo not very good was it not hd was that what it was like, i don't know I, like how i'm not sure that the quality of the, the photos back then and they say as a key witness but i'm not sure of the nature of the key witness and bundy's interaction i'm mm, not sure yeah what that was, or that's, whether that's they were, not really stated is it or whether they were they were scraping the barrel at that point but once again um the girlfriend has, has phoned up twice now and then he goes home to see her doesn't he Which yeah is i think so at some point along the line that happens because i know by december she actually ends up repeating her suspicions to police this is now a third yeah. time now yeah. and then by january 1975 bundy then returns to seattle after his final exams spends the week with her and obviously she didn't tell him that he'd been reported no. i mean if she's got suspicions that he's a serial killer now killing lots and lots of women She's hanging out with him for a week. Yeah, just chill out. Just have a, have a good time. Just relax. Why not? I think in one of the interviews, she says to the police that for some reason he would bring these items back to the house that make no sense in being there. And it'd be like the items listed would be like a pickaxe and a rope yeah. and things like that. And a bag think, of women's clothes was one yeah. of them as well. <laughs> I'm thinking, hang on, right, let's just put this together. Pickaxe, crossbow, bag of women's clothes. What's he getting up to in his spare time? Hmm. But once again, though, it's not on her because she she connects the dots. Yeah. She realizes that this is pretty bizarre behavior and the police just decide. I don't know why they decide not to listen. I'm not sure by this point why they wouldn't be taking notice that they're not. I'm not sure if I'd be hanging out with him, though. I mean, I don't know. Why. It seems to be a common theme of like women just get, <laughs> wanting to get close to him. I'm like, yeah, but I, I don't kill people and no one, why does no one want to get close to me? Don't mean yeah. what's going on. I think it's, it's the, it's, it gets to the moment in the relationship where you sit down by the fire and you're like, Ted. I think we need to go on a break. We need to have a chat, don't we, Ted? Have you, you've been up to <laughs> something, haven't you? That's very Love Island. I mean, they're pulling for a chat or something by, the, by the fire. I want to know where's your head at. Ted, you're my type on paper, but the pickaxe, the bag of women's clothes, the rope, it's just not for me. But I can see, though, why she would want to stay close, because I don't know her, obviously. Don't you? Obviously. obviously. No, what? Obviously, I'm going to distance myself from her. You don't know her? I wasn't, wasn't knocking around you, in there. If uh... you know her, if you've got some information <laughs> on her, please spill. I'm dying to hear. I wasn't knocking around Seattle in 1974, 1975. That is surprising. That's quite a disclaimer. But mm -hmm. I don't know whether she's that invested in this now that she wants to see him bang to rights. I'm not sure. I don't think she's in love with him. Don't you? But she, I think she can still contact the police, though, and distance herself from him because there's moments where I'm reading and researching about this case where I'm getting quite scared for her safety. And she's been cheated on as well mm -hmm. when he's away in Utah. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, I, I don't really get why that would happen. Why? I don't know, don't why that's a thing. Uh, in 1975, he then begins to kill in Colorado. So January 12th, 23-year-old disappears while walking down a well-lit hallway between an elevator and her room. So I think this is maybe at some sort of like hotel or something, or apartment block. Some but... kind of ski resort. Oh, uh, that, that was it, I think, yeah, something yeah. like that. And her nude body was found a month later. So again, taking the time to find some of these bodies. March 15th, 26-year-old Julie disappears. Bundy later revealed he approached her on crutches, asking her to help carry his ski boots yeah. uh, to his car, and she was then clubbed and handcuffed. So again, this is, like you say, he was at a ski resort, and I think this was like some sort of accommodation where he did the first killing, and the second one, again, this time, I think using crutches, putting his leg in a cast. 
The guy yeah. bought the, the necessary materials to put his leg in a cast. For all the talk of how mindless these uh, killings are and senseless, there's now more and more thought going into them in terms of uh, disguises, shall yeah. we say, as well, and, with him he, impersonating a police officer. Now he's, he's getting the skiing gear but he's not skiing. It's all a, a ruse to, to lure people in, isn't it? And I think it's around this period of time, they know, this is in Colorado, they know of six bodies at least that haven't been recovered, but they know that he murdered when he confessed. That's a lot mm. for, for the police to not know where these remains are, but just to know that they went missing. And that's only in this kind of spate of time in uh, early 1975 in Colorado. It's, it's, it's really shocking stuff. One thing that's interesting around uh, putting his leg in a cast as well is that he was stealing the materials to be able to do that. Like he'd stole them from like a medical, I don't know, some sort of medical um, thing. I'm not, not 100% sure, but he was actually stealing a lot of these things as well. He wasn't even like, wasn't even buying it. It's not like he had Amazon, I guess, back in the day, but right. like, he was stealing the things that he was then using to sort of dress up as him. It's just completely ridiculous, the whole thing. Weeks later, he then makes a six-hour drive back to see the remains of this 26-year-old Julie that he's just killed. Uh, and then it's like some of these killings are like 400 miles away. It's just ridiculous. Uh, April 6th, the killings continue. 25-year-old Denise disappears while riding a bike. The bike and sandals were later found. So it's interesting. A little bit of a different one there where he's killed someone on a bike. Which, you know, even just things like that, you sort of think, oh, it's a little bit out of character. Is he maybe experimenting here? Is he sort of trying to up the ante, trying to make it more exciting for himself, as, you know, sick and twisted people do in these sort of cases? Yeah, it's all about fulfilling an urge, isn't it? But, mm. I mean, good luck catching somebody on a bike if you've got your leg in a cast, though. Yeah, Ted, how uh, did you manage that? Did he flag her down? I don't know what, how that happens. I think a lot of it from what I... And the videos that I've seen of him as well, there is... I don't know whether it's a myth or whether it's something that's propagated to... Gay, uh, garner interest in the movie, the Hollywood movie with Zac Efron, but he is portrayed as somebody with oodles of charisma and charm. So he might not necessarily need to go out there actively and, and mm. in search of people. He could be luring them in. We know that that's the pattern with a lot of the early stuff. He was luring women in and then he'd be violent. And I think that maybe this is the, the, the case here, I'd imagine. It just seems strange. I never really see that side of his personality where he's like, you know, got a good chat or anything. I don't really see that side. <laughs> just, I, that's the thing. I'm, all I've seen is the murdering part. I've not really seen any, where's the personality here? Well, it's not coming through. You wouldn't want to go for a coffee with him, would you? I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't think so. Uh, May 6th, Bundy lures a 12-year-old. He drowns her in his hotel room and then disposes her in a river. Again, it just feels like a bit of a change of like pace here, just up in the ante a bit. Hotel room, his own hotel room, 12-year-old. It feels like a, a bit of a, a different... Yeah, I don't know why that was. Again, is this some sort of a grievance with maybe girls in his past or something that he's then seeking out different age ranges of different people who have cause him some sort of harm emotionally in his life previous. I'm not really sure. I'm trying to work out why that would be. Because a 12-year-old quite clearly isn't a woman. Yeah, I labelled him as a sociopath earlier. If he's a sociopath, I think he's just seeing what he can get away with. And what mm. sociopaths tend to do is they tend to push the boundaries more and more and more and more and more and more. And if he's murdering these 18, 17, 16-year-old women, probably getting bored of that, probably not giving him the same thrill that it otherwise was. Because I don't know, when we spoke about how one of the earlier murders was the daughter of the police chief. I don't know whether he knew that or whether that was a coincidence, but it, it happens later down the line in uh, when he's on the run in Florida as well. It happens again. I don't know whether that was a purposeful thing, was it a coincidence? 
but or is it him testing the waters and being like, I oh, have the daughter of the police chief. Bam, that's a that's a, something I want to get my hands on. Yeah, I'm I was sure. thinking that was that a deliberate thing or not? Because we know he obviously had some access to some information because he was like working for certain organisations. But whether he'd have had police officers' details and like family details, I'm not 100 percent sure. But it does make you wonder. Like maybe it was a coincidence. Who knows? But um, certainly an interesting one anyway. Um, June 28th comes round. Susan Curtis disappears from her campus. Her murder became Bundy's last ever confession. This was. His last ever confession that was taped moments before his execution and again this body as well as others were not found and then two months later after this killing Bundy was baptized the Jesus Christ Church there just um giving a yeah, little they, bit of a baptize they became a Mormon didn't they? Did he? which yeah he became a Mormon and that's because Mormonism originated in Utah he was knocking around Utah became a Mormon for a bit Literally, I love the fact that when I was doing the research, they had to point out that he didn't stick to the teachings of the Mormon church yeah. as if there was any doubt just to rem- for the avoidance of doubt. I was, I was just curious. Did the, did the serial killer, did he follow that, that teaching? Yeah. I was curious of that one. The Mormon church is quite a strict one as well. So I don't know yeah. what, I don't know what the need for the clarification, but um, then in interviews later on, he labeled himself as a Baptist. So mm, depends which way the wind is blowing for Ted. No, mm-hmm. no moral code whatsoever. Well, he's got, he's got a set of principles. That's, you know, he's got a set of principles, clearly. Uh, police began compiling a database of Volkswagen owners named Ted. These about were, time. Well, yeah. I've no, known about no. that for about a year now. Takes about on. a year at this well, point. Let's, let's crack on. Uh, and then they also, and it was also combined with like a known list of sex offenders as well. And it's like, mm, maybe should have done this a bit earlier. Yep, I, I obviously time. appreciate this is not, this isn't an era where databases were like regularly used. This, this was seen as quite a like high tech to, be, to get a database together. And this database basically coughed up these different names. They, they gave them like certain questions and queries into the database. It came up with 26 names on four separate lists. One was Ted Bundy. He also made their top 100 suspects. How was that 100? <laughs> if they were doing a countdown yeah, or something. Unit <laughs> number 94. <laughs> you know what I mean? it's, like, it's mental. Like, how did they have 100? 100 Ted's, did they, with Volkswagen Beetles on the sex offenders list? What? Yeah, the thing is for me, is that I'm not sure how common the name Ted was in America back then, and even in, in this part of America. But they were looking, another thing, another kind of um, variable that they plugged into this database was acquaintances of the victims and acquaintances of people that went to these universities. There's not that many Ted's knocking about back then that Probably own not. Volkswagen Beetles that go that frequent these universities or whatever. Even if there was, the girlfriends come forward, the professors come forward, the colleagues come forward. Fucking hell. I know, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't know how they don't, they're not able to put all that information together. I mean, it's, it's within a state or two as well. Like, it was within, within a few states. He's not going to be jetting in from the other side of the country. You could rule out a few states here. Like, not yet. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, not yet. Spoiler <laughs> alert. At least he made their top 100 suspects, though. That's, so I'd like to know where he ranked on this top 100, though. I would He's well. not top 10. I'm questioning their competency mm, again. I'd be very curious to find that out. Uh, August 16th, 1975, Bundy is arrested. Finally. Yeah. So it took the time. Yeah. Arrested for what? He's seen in his beetle in the early hours and began fleeing after seeing a patrol car. The car yeah. was searched and they found a ski mask, a crowbar, handcuffs, an ice pick. And these were assumed to be burglary tools. Nice one, police. Bundy's Got apartment it. was searched, but the evidence wasn't sufficient to detain him. So Bundy later said the searchers missed his Polaroids of his victims, which he then destroyed once he was released by the officers. So he had he had evidence of the people that he killed, pictures of the people that he killed. They somehow didn't find him. I don't know how. 
they, yeah. they've got his car. They arrested him for fleeing the scene. I mean, it's yeah. an omission of guilt in itself, but I mean, his greatest crime isn't speeding down the, the freeway, is it, mm-hmm. really? And once again, the police, in football terms, have an open goal. They should have took that away. And once again, they missed the Polaroids. How, though? How, I mean, surely you're looking for those sorts of things. Like, surely you turn the place upside down. Maybe they just weren't... Maybe they weren't thinking that he was actually... I genius. think if I was a police officer and I came across a car with a ski mask, a crowbar, some handcuffs, some rope, and an ice pick in, my interest as a professional police officer, you know, who investigates crimes, would be peaked by finding Mm. those and I'd be turning the car inside out but unfortunately they didn't do that Bundy did say didn't he He said that these are these are household items yeah because obviously you need a ski mask a crowbar and some handcuffs in the house Mm. I mean maybe you do it's not it's not up to me what you get up to but it's fairly obvious what he was getting up to yeah it's unbelievable I mean again you would have thought they're probably on high alert maybe or maybe it's been going on so long that it's not really high alert anymore just got used to it I don't know different state as well though again yeah it's in Utah that's Most of his stuff in, in 1975 was going on in Colorado and Idaho. Bundy then is put on 24-hour surveillance. Uh, detectives interview his girlfriend. She tells them of discovering crutches, a bag of plaster, a meat cleaver, which was then not used for cooking, apparently, <laughs> and a sack of women's clothes. So she's now laying it on a plate for him. Okay, another interview. She get a lot of interviews here, okay? Not making a lot of progress. He's in the top 100, but still not, you know. Like a huge amount of progress. And now she's found crutches, plaster, meat cleaver, and women's clothes. Again, it's sort of like it's on a plate for him here. How many times does she have to say it? How many times does she have to come in here and say, it's my boyfriend, arrest the bloke? How many times? It does get rather ridiculous at this point. Uh, doesn't it really? I think <laughs> tells a story as well. She told them stories about his weird behavior as well. Not only is it weird behavior to have these items in the house, but once again, I mentioned earlier about the middle parting, like that controlling behavior she mentioned. And also the fact that she'd wake up in the middle of the night to find him inspecting her under the covers with a torch yeah. is, is intriguing Examining behavior. her body. At that point, maybe, I think it's end time maybe. to end the relationship, personally. For me, if I'm waking up in the middle of the night and the person I'm with is under the covers with a torch, examining my body, a bit much, bit, you know. Gets, gets and you suspect, you suspect that he's a serial killer already. Yeah. Maybe. You would. But like I said, maybe she was committed to, to seeing this out and, and getting him damned committed. to rights. Because, I mean, now she's had these four interviews, they actually do start listening to it at this point, don't they? Good so them. maybe she's sticking it out for the sake of, of the case. She's doing long distance as well. So. Well, she's putting a life on the line here. She's putting a life on I mean, maybe I mean, she doesn't feel threatened by it. I don't really know. But, like, come on. You would, wouldn't you? If somebody was inspecting you with a torch, I mean, thanks for, for wanting to see me in the light. Uh, but also a bit weird. Just a bit, yeah, just a bit. Wouldn't, wouldn't fancy it myself personally. If anyone, you know, if any future <laughs> partners are watching, don't be doing that. Not for me. Just turn the light on. Just, yeah, yeah, come on. Just get, get your eight hours sleep, don't I mean? <laughs> All bags under the eyes. Uh, FBI found hairs matching three of the victims in his beetle. Now, I mean, at this point, come on, come on. It's three hairs of the victims in his beetle. I mean, coincidence? Is that the point where they go, no, just a coincidence, this? The funniest part of it is, is that the FBI only get hold of his car because he sold it. (laughs) Yeah. Ted, come on. You're making it too easy now. They don't even seize the car. They they have to seize off someone else. They don't even... (laughs) It's like, were they scared of him? I don't know. I'm not going to... 
not going to compound his cut. They have the rights to do literally anything they want, the FBI, don't they, really, in America? Basically, Investigate yeah. anything they want. they got free reign. And they were too scared to approach Ted Bundy and be like, we're taking your beetle. We suspect you've been up to no, up to no good. So at this point, he's been arrested. Oh, he's not been arrested. I think he's still on surveillance at this point. Yeah. October 2nd rolls around. Uh, Bundy is identified as the fake police officer from the lineup. He was then charged with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault. But he was freed on fifteen thousand dollar bail, which was paid by his parents. Now, I think the way the bail system parents or grandparents. Oh, good point. Good point. Probably we don't grandparents. know. That's very. We don't point. know, do we? Um, but interestingly, I think the way the bail system works is before you get a trial, there's a period where you could be in detention or detained, mm. but you can be freed on bail if the bail is paid. Then you get to spend that time out in the open, as opposed to behind bars because you're, you're still waiting for the trial to happen basically yeah i think for me it's the fact that they've identified him as the police officer the fake police officer and they've identified him at the same time they identified him as the guy that was at the school the theater production so they could have him absolutely banged to rights here but for some reason they don't have the concrete evidence and even when they do it's not evidence for these murders because they the detectives and the cid in seattle know that he's or assume he's now their number one suspect at this point but they don't have enough evidence to get him on that so they try getting him on this uh, aggravated kidnapping charge because they've got enough evidence for that because the aggravated kidnapping charge came from when he acted as a police officer and tried to handcuff carol but didn't mm. so they got enough concrete evidence with that but with nothing else which must be so frustrating for them uh, i don't know how they arrest got anyone uh, locked up back in the day because i mean it seemed no. like they needed some decent evidence it's difficult to get decent evidence without dna and that kind of thing yeah how i don't know they ever lock anyone up I don't know what they're going off. They're going off the hair in the car and witness testimony. And that's it. It's tough. Otherwise, this would cease. They'd have had him long ago because they knew. The Seattle CID knew by this point. That's why they've got him on surveillance, because they know what he's capable of. Mm -hmm. But they just can't get him banged for anything but the aggravated kidnapping and impersonating the police officer. And and so at this point, when he's being released on bail, uh, he's then with his girlfriend, uh, Clofer. And she then later describes... um, their situation as when Ted and I stepped out of the porch to go somewhere, so many unmarked police cars started, it sounded like the start of Indy 500. So <laughs> it had so much surveillance. Soon a sense of humour then. Yeah, well, she, no, she's looking back okay. on it fondly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as soon as they opened the door, the amount of car engines that start, which again, not very discreet, is it? Not very discreet. They knew that. though, didn't they? It just goes to show that they knew that this was the man that they needed. Yeah, from all different states, by the sounds of it, they were all surveilling him. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, in February 1976, he then stood trial for kidnapping. He was found guilty of kidnapping. And in June, he was sentenced to between one to 15 years. October, he was then found hiding in the bushes of a prison with an escape kit. So he's now locked <laughs> up behind bars. And he's been presumably inside for a few months at this point, And now he's somehow got his hands on an escape kit to try and get out. <laughs> How has he managed this? You think, like, this, you think this the escape kit, by the way, <laughs> roadmaps, airline schedules, social security card. I just love if it was a goodie bag labelled with like escape kit written yeah. on it and it just slipped <laughs> past the prison guards or something. Here's your, here's your, here's your escape kit. Just <laughs> escape mad. kit for dummies or something like that. I would love that. Somehow smuggled that in. Like these roadmaps, <laughs> airline schedule, social security card. Like it's ridiculous. He then obviously gets several weeks solitary confinement for that as a punishment. Um, and then he's later charged for murder in Colorado. So things are starting to now happen. Things are starting to progress. He's still behind bars for now because this is when he now tries to escape because in 1977, so again, a little bit more time's passed, 
as he's going through the trial, he elects himself as attorney. So when you elect yourself as, a, as an attorney, there's no handcuffs involved because you're the attorney. So he sort of game the system there. You've got to speak with your hands if you're your own attorney. Obviously, well, exactly. you've, got to, you've got to make the emotive the emotive argument yourself. You can't do that with handcuffs and nature. Exactly. Fair play to him. Uh, during recess, he was allowed to visit the court library to research the case because he was an attorney. So let's, you know, let's let him in the library. Whilst the officers weren't looking opens the window and jumps from the second floor spraining his ankle or something and it's like oh we've got the, finally spent all this time trying to get hold of this guy you just let him go to the library and he just hops out a window yeah i don't i don't think i just can't believe that they wanted that they, they thought that he wanted to swan off to the library to read a few books about his case i can't believe they and then even though they let him do that which is reprehensible and then they let him do that presumably unsupervised or he went around the other side of a bookshelf or something like yeah, that and then jumped out the window it. like why is the window open in there that was ghost i mean what is going on he had this planned though by the sounds of it, it sounds like he had this planned i mean the mind of this guy to be able to like know how to game the system i appreciate he studied law which helped obviously but to be able to like know oh if i actually i could reckon if i be the attorney i can get into the library hopefully one of the windows is open maybe you already knew that from a previous visit to the library and then it all just again fits into place like he finds a way out wiggles his way out i mean we're only just getting started on on, yeah. on this on this as well it does get it gets a lot 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 more incredulous because when he jumps out the window like I say sprains his ankle then spends days on the run in the mountains at this point he's cold he's sleep deprived and he decides to steal a car so he's been out on the run now for, for several days at this point he then heads back into the town that he's just escaped from uh, which i think was called aspen i think the car's yeah. weaving around, sleep deprived. He's not slept in days, been on the run. He's weaving around. The police pull him over. And being, bear in mind, he's been on the run for about six days at this point. So the police pull him over and obviously realise, oh, this is, this is, this might be the guy that we're looking for here that's been on the run. You're on the run, aren't you? You are. You. You're on the run. He had, he had it written. <laughs> he had a little, he had on, on, on the run kit as well. <laughs> I'm on the run. Toothbrush, toothpaste. <laughs> on the run. His little kit. You laughed though, but he did. He had a map on him, and the map that they found on him uh, had X's on it where he'd buried bodies, and they yeah. found more bodies through that. <laughs> Just ridiculous, crazy. But they caught him and they gave him a slap on the wrist, didn't they? They put him back in jail. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. Then Bundy had, like I say, had planned this escape using maps that he was allowed uh, access to as the attorney. So again, using those the, the system the way it was set up for his own benefit. He then gets, like I say, put back in jail, but ignores advice to stay put because apparently the case was actually quite weak on him, and it began yeah. and it was almost going to be crumbling on itself. So these motions were resolving in his favour time yeah. and time again. That's what I don't chance. understand of acquittal and he could have been set free i don't understand that i don't understand how these pre-trial motions firstly i don't know what they were these pre-trial motions secondly i don't understand how they could possibly be ruling in his favor i don't understand that because the case at this point to me it seems like a pretty solid one i mean we've built it ourselves but obviously they lacked the evidence i think back then but the, the man just wanted to get out didn't he yeah i think that out. was the big thing was the lack of evidence i think that that was just what it was i mean difficult because obviously when you you know you can see it's all sort of here laid out in front of us you can sort of see it's, it should be pretty obvious but they just don't have enough concrete evidence maybe again back then didn't have enough of the technologies or whatever to be able to do that 
Yeah, well, one of the reasons was that, uh, like key pieces of evidence was like ruled like inadmissible or whatever. And I think what that means is you can't convict somebody based on a couple of hair strands, and that's all they had back then. They didn't have fingerprints, and they didn't have DNA or anything like that either. So that's probably why that was quite a, a weak case. But he was put back in jail, then he escaped again. Yeah, exactly. So just not exactly surprising. He could have stayed put. We decide not to. So instead, he decides to create a new escape plan at this point. He then acquires, again, somehow a floor plan of the jail. He's got his hands on a floor plan now, like like grand designs at this point. Like, just get it, you know, get his hands on a floor plan. Gets his hands on a blade and $500 uh, and then starts sawing the hole between his bars and in the cell ceiling and exploring the space over, like, weeks and weeks. So rather than just sitting tight, the case is crumbling, he'd probably be freed because it's not a particularly strong case for the sounds of it in a lot of states, don't have a lot of evidence. He's now actively trying to escape again, and he's sort of, he doesn't, not happy with sitting around, hanging around, doing stuff, he wants to escape. He begins using this blade, which I think has been smuggled in for him, mm. to try and cut this hole so he can try and escape through the ceiling. And it's unbelievable, like, that. The, it's weird because he has a mixture of patience and impatience like he's impatient with the trial but he's actually quite patient with this thing like the, the, this whole soaring thing well he had to uh, give himself enough time to lose about 15 16 kilograms so he could fit through the hole that he soared in the ceiling yeah so i suppose it was a waiting game in a way i think for me the cruelest irony about this whole escape plan is the fact that the room that he's sawing into above him is the office of the chief jailer. Now, I think yeah. that's an American thing because I'm not sure what that is, but I would say if you're a prisoner in jail, you probably don't want to be messing with the chief jailer. Sounds high up. You don't want to be messing with the chief, Sounds but he like... just doesn't care. He just doesn't he... care. I suppose exactly. he had to be patient, though. He had to wait for Christmas, right? That's what I he got did. from that. Well, this is interesting because he waited until December 30th. So I think he's thinking, new year, new me. Let's get out of this place. <laughs> I'm thinking, let's have a reset. I mean, that's let's get free. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> let's get my freedom back. We're breaking free. So December 30th, most of the staff are on a Christmas break. Bundy uses books to simulate his body in a bed under a blanket and climbs <laughs> in this crawl space. Like Why is nobody film? working the prison at Christmas? I know. Like we don't just let them all out for Christmas, and the prison guards have nothing to do. Why is nobody working at when the prison did this at Christmas? Policy. It's Christmas time. Forget about the criminals. It's not even Christmas. It's the thirtieth. Get back yeah, to get work. Back, get back to work. Jesus Christ. So they're on. They're on a short staff rotor, by the sounds of it, or something like that. It's just unbelievable. He then breaks into this apartment above of the chief jailer, um, and this chief jailer is out for the evening with his wife. Just out, you know, enjoying himself, passing. Oh, for dinner, aren't they? Yeah, gone for a deal. Sushi, I bet. Then he changes, just to make matters worse, he changes into the jailer's clothes. Taking a piss at this point. Yeah, now he is. And then just walks out the front door. Yep, the front door. The front door. The front door. As if nothing. And there's nobody on reception going, is that Ted Bundy? Is that his clothes? Why does that say jailer on the back? (laughs) Chief jailer. That was Ted Bundy. Isn't that the guy that we put in prison? Yeah, he's waved at us as he's left, the front door. Where's he got those clothes from? No he question. He's always on the news, isn't he? <laughs> Does he look familiar to you? Was he not the, that murderer or something? <laughs> like, how has that happened? I have to say, though, like that, that is absolutely unbelievable that he's done that. And in a way, fair play to him for setting out to do that. Like, I don't endorse that, but fair play. Like that, it takes, <laughs> it takes guts, well. it takes balls, and it takes a lot of planning. Like, Wow. And it's incredulous. I can't believe it. I can't believe this podcast does not endorse Ted Bundy, but it takes a lot of planning to do that. 
But this next bit is the most interesting bit to me, his escape across America. Mm-hmm. So I, got, I took some notes on this. It sounds like he's playing GTA, and it sounds like to me he's wanting to tick off every single mode of transport possible in this trip across America. It's mad. Steals a car upon his escape from, from I mean, the chief jailer. Breaks into the chief jailer's office, changes into his clothes, steals a car. Broke down. What do you do, Ted? I'm going to hitchhike my way to central Colorado, catch a bus to Denver, the biggest city in Colorado, board a flight to Chicago, right? And by this point, he's in Chicago. And for those that are not acquainted with U.S. geography, on the other side of the country, Mm -hmm. USA, massive. Colorado in the west, Chicago in the east, basically, right? He's in Chicago now. Do the prison guards notice that he's gone at this point? No, they still don't know. He's in Chicago. It takes them 17 hours. (laughs) Nearly a day. day, For nearly a day, they're thinking, that looks like Ted under those sheets, those books. That looks like Ted. Ah, Ted. Under those sheets. Does that look like a copy of Pride and Prejudice to you on the pillow? It's like, is that it's the like encyclopedia? It's yeah. <laughs> a bit chunky, isn't it? Ted hasn't moved in a while, has he? Has he put on weight? <laughs> Why is he not moving? Why is he not moving? <laughs> He's but... not even breathing. There's no, like, movement <laughs> of the body or anything. It's just, come on. But they don't know. He's stolen a car, He's broke down, breath. caught a bus, got a flight, and they still don't know. And they realise, and by this point, he's in Chicago, gets a train up to Michigan, steals another car, drives down to Atlanta, which is in the south. So now he's just traversing the whole country and boards a bus to Florida. Big American road, road show, isn't he? Just is touring he, the country at this point. He's on his tour across America, yeah. isn't he? Can you imagine if he released a shirt with like the date names and dates on the back of each like, city or whatever? It'd be amazing. <laughs> he's literally covering all bases. I read that. I was absolutely astonished. My jaw was on the floor. I mean, as you say, he eventually finds his way to Florida. So he moves to Florida with the intent of laying low and finding work. That's good. So he's set out with good intentions. You may be starting to think, oh, has he learned his lesson now? Maybe he's a changed man. But then the construction site wanted to see ID. So he began committing crimes again. And that was it. Like one job turned down. Nah, I don't have ID. So um, back to the old killings then. It's like that one thing. It reminds me of the time when I tried to get into a club in Leeds and forgot my ID. So I started burglaring everything I could see in sight. Mm -hmm. It just happens, doesn't it? When somebody asks for ID and you don't have it, you just turn to a life of crime. Happens to the best of us. It's just a natural progression. So he's he's gone into this mentality of like wanting to lay low a little bit. And then just goes the complete opposite. Once he gets rejected from that job, completely back to where he was, if not even worse. Because now, January 15th, 1978, he kills 21-year-old Margaret while she slept, entered another room and killed Lisa, tearing one of her nipples and biting deeply into one of her uh, buttocks. He's going on this now rampage. He's just entered a random house. And then he attacks Kathy in the adjoining room and concusses Karen and they were both, they actually both survived. Those last two women survived yeah. uh, through that horrific ordeal. I mean, he's gone from wanting to lay low to now the opposite end. Now he's attacked four women at once. Yeah, this is a, it's a sorority house in Florida. And a sorority house is a frat house. You know, everyone knows what a frat house is, but for women. So it's very much like putting a, a, a lion in a zebra enclosure in a way. Mm. He goes and attacks four women in 15 minutes and at this point i mean if we didn't know it already it's an impulse thing the guy just can't help himself because by now it's becoming a bit a bit shoddy in the sense that there's no reason to bite her buttocks as you put it but when we get down the line you know it's actually the thing that does him in because he's left his teeth marks on somebody else's body and at this Mm -hmm. moment in time they did actually have the technology to match 
teeth marks to somebody's teeth. So it's at the point now where he's getting a bit reckless with it, I think. Well, well interestingly, he killed the first two, but then, like, like I said, didn't kill the other two. They had significant injuries, though. Um, but apparently they think, they don't know this for certain, but they think that Bundy was scared off by the car headlights coming through the window. Like the glare of the car headlights, which is an interesting thing. I mean, if you're a guy that's a serial killer, you've killed lots of women, just killed two in the other room. Like, it's weird to then sort of spare those lives based on some car headlights, because if there's car headlights, then, I mean, you're if you're leaving the, the house anyway, you're going to be heading outside. So it doesn't really matter whether it's now or in five minutes. It's weird how that happened. And I wonder if it was to do the headlights or not. Yeah, well, I think he got scared because one of the other girls that lived there arrived home because she saw him leaving. So she was oh, coming yeah. at the front door, he was leaving the back door. I don't know whether there, there were those headlights that he saw, they were her headlights maybe, I'm not sure. Mm. But I think he was scared of getting caught in the axe. But I mean, with this guy and this prolific record that he has, I don't think he'd be scared by a woman coming home to a sorority house. So yeah. I'm not sure. That, that's that's the bit I was a bit un- unsure about, but it's clear that there's unfinished business for him because after leaving this house, he then breaks into another apartment, attacks again, leaving Cheryl with permanent deafness. Again, yeah. leaving her alive, though, which is interesting. But obviously there was a semen stain found and Bundy-like hair, as they described it, found as well. So clearly it attacked her in, in lots of different ways and, and abused her in, in lots of different ways as well. So I just I think that's just it just seems a little bit strange to kill two people, but then not go through the other three. Obviously, it's good that he didn't, but it just seems a bit odd that uh, he spared those three lives there. It is when his modus operandi is all about control. Mm. And that's the reason why he's, he's he's committing these atrocities, is to gain ultimate control over these women, to, to spare two, three lives, if you include the life of the woman that arrived home as well as he was mm. leaving. I don't know I don't know whether he, whether he meant to do that. I'm not sure. Because, I just, mean, one of the women that he left alive, he broke her jaw and crushed her finger or something like that. So there was obviously excessive force involved, whether he just slipped up and didn't finish the job in, you know, in a crude way. I'm not sure on those kind of two or three it counts. It feels like a little bit like the pattern. Now he's gone back to killing. It feels like the pattern's become a little bit more dislocated, a bit more broken, a little bit more all over the place, whereas it felt a little bit more thought through beforehand. I'm not quite sure exactly why that is, but he feels now angry, maybe because he's been rejected for that job or maybe something else, who knows? Yeah, I'm not sure. The, the pattern that I see is more impulsive and more often as mm. the timeline goes on. More but obviously, as well. Yeah, exactly. There was no need for him to leave the bite mark. It's, it's, it's a concrete piece of evidence that ultimately led to his downfall. But it was at this point that he was getting suspicious that the police were honing in on him in Florida. I'm not actually sure if they were or not. Um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure, but there was definitely some paranoia, wasn't there? Yeah, so maybe that contributed to it as well. Running low on money, becoming more stressed, obviously going to act more and more impulsively. About February the 8th, after failing to lure a 14-year-old daughter of the police chief uh, of detectives, so second time he's ended up uh, yeah. trying to lure a daughter, first time was successful with it. Uh, he then kills a 12-year-old, 12-year-old Kimberly. Seven weeks later, this partially mummified remains are found. So again, it's changing now. This is partially mummified as opposed to like, there was one time where he's stripping the bodies naked and there was lots of different things that he's done. This one's now mummified. So it almost seems like he's stepping up the ante a little bit with this. Really, really unusual patterns that are beginning to emerge at this point. Uh, Bundy then stopped by police at 1am, so again in the middle of the night, this has happened now, um, stopped by police at 1am after his car was found to be stolen, and when told of his arrest, he took off running. Officers then fire a shot um, and then chase after him and tackle him, 
and eventually Bundy is arrested. So again, they get a little bit lucky just stopping in the middle of the night, like early hours of the morning again. Yeah, no, this is an interesting one because they stop him because his car stolen. And previously in Utah, they stopped him because he started fleeing the scene, didn't he? So they're not they're not nailing him for the crimes that, that they think they are. But this is a particularly interesting one because they were suspicious of him for driving around at that time. They pull him over. He attacks the police officers when they try and um, subjugate him, which I think I read was by a, a leg swipe or something. I imagine they had him yeah. pinned and he swipes his foot across the police officer's leg and the police officer went flying or whatever, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But then he, the police officer fires the warning shots and, 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 and they get him again. And they find all sorts in his car, don't they? It's a bit like a random spot check. Like this guy's driving around at 1am. Let's see what we can find. And, and this, it paid, uh, paid dividends. At, at this, happened this twice point. as well. Twice when they weren't even like, they're supposedly searching for this killer, but they just happened twice by accident as well. Like, cause he's lurking around at early hours of the morning. As the officer transported Bundy to jail, this officer was completely unaware that he was FBI's top 10 most wanted. He was in the, the top 10 most wanted. And Bundy was apparently heard saying, I wish you had killed me. Because this thought of being arrested and going through prison again, being locked up again, just didn't like it. He didn't like that power, power dynamic, I think, was now, this is out of your control. You're now the one that's behind bars. You're now detained. We're now in control of you kind of thing. Clearly did not like that. He'd rather be dead. No, I think he could see what was coming as well, because if he was suspicious that the police were on his tail at this point, then he's probably assuming that the police have spent this uh, this time building a case against him, a more solid case about against him, because obviously he knows the true extent of the crimes that he's committed. Probably knows that you can't get away with these forever. Probably realizes that he was, you know, that kind of thought of the police closing in probably contributed towards his paranoia. Yeah, that that feeling of like time begin to run out as well, like because the kind of, it did begin to sort of all crumble on itself. I mean, he he was basically stood trial in 1979, and he, he stood trial for for this different murders. And was doing much of his own defence. So let's just keep him away from the library, I think. Yeah, definitely. Let's not let him in there again. Uh, Bundy refused a plea deal that may have allowed him to avoid a death penalty. And in a few years, that could have set him free. But he just Mm. didn't want to say he was guilty in in court. There's the ego thing, isn't it? Yeah, so he he could have been free in a a few years. Yeah, I think the plan was for members of the defence team was to make the case, accept the plea deal for 75 years of imprisonment and hope that the, the evidence crumbles and witnesses die off or get scared and then he'd be released within 10, 15, 20, 25 years or something like that. And that was the incentive there for Bundy who agreed to this plan up until it came to the point where he had to go through with it and he couldn't get up on that stand and, and enter, enter a guilty plea. I think that was quite likely that could have actually happened. I mean, it, it's they, they said that like, it could have just been a few years behind bars. Like, yeah. I mean, I think possibly, I mean, given the fact that a lot of these these cases seem to, be, seem to be struggling to put them together, the police don't seem particularly competent, don't have a lot of evidence. And it's like, mate, that might have happened. Obviously, he didn't want to be behind bars, though, did he? Uh, but by July 24th, he was convicted of three murders with the judge imposing the death penalty on him. Six months later, a second trial found him guilty of abduction and murder. As this, at this point, things are really beginning to crumble. But during this penalty phase of the trial, so they're deciding the length of how long he's going to be behind bars or how severe um, the, the punishment's going to be, Bundy decides to propose to his girlfriend, Boone, who is this girlfriend that he's been courting. Yeah, the other one's out the window. The one that grasped him in four times to the police is out the window. Yeah. I don't know whether he caught wind of that or not. She was committed as well. It's a shame. 
Yeah, and now he's with Miss um, Boone. But he took advantage of some kind of law that said that if you propose in a courtroom, it's a, a valid marriage or something. Mm-hmm. Not the time. The, the judge yeah. acts as like the person who's like able to oversee the marriage kind of thing. Presiding over it, yeah. yeah. Not the t- time and a place, though, Ted, I think. You know, not, maybe not in a court case. Um, in fact, you know, maybe in a, you want to propose in a in the midst of a court case that's got international attention at this point. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe. It's, it's, a it's, no, it's what people do when you're in love, isn't it? You know, it's passion as well as passion. Yeah, it'd be all over Instagram these days. Yeah, on it? the big that's stage. Why not? Yeah. So she accepted. Good of her. Why not? I mean, he's only a serial killer. I mean, <laughs> there's worse they, things. And they were legally married under that sort of unusual um, Florida law. February the 10th, 1980, he was sentenced for a third time to the death penalty. Three times. I mean, three strikes and you're out. Is he a cat or something with eight lies? Why are we sentencing those? <laughs> How many more can he get at this point? <laughs> I mean, so much of the honeymoon period. I mean, this guy, do you know what I mean, he's getting sentenced to death. That's not nice, is it? <laughs> that sort of honeymoon period afterwards, he's getting the death penalty. And by October... <laughs> 1981. So again, another year ahead at this point. He's continuing to stretch this out for as long as possible, just appealing, I think, I mean, all his death penalties. Let's remember, we started off by saying the first known murder that he committed was 1974. We've had seven years mm-hmm. of him running rampage and in between getting locked up, not for the murders though, just for attempted kidnappings, and then escaping, and then getting locked up again, and then escaping. And now it's 1981. And he's on trial. That's yeah. it. And he's oh. got married. And now his girlfriend gives birth to a daughter. And Bundy's the father. They've been at it behind bars. Pretty mental. So that kid was born in 1981, which means that that kid is now 40-ish. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I didn't look into the identity of this kid, whether they kept the name. Yeah. Whether they distanced from their father. I didn't, I'd like to look into that. Something I'm going to look into post-pod, I think. Yeah, well, I, I think, what I think they've run off, don't they, eventually, uh, which we'll get to, uh, the two of them. But yeah, it's interesting how, um, I think they call them con- conjugal visits, which I wasn't I wasn't familiar with the term, but apparently these yeah, are visits no. where people, partners in jails come together and spend some alone time together, shall we say. And apparently there's some nice... Get rid um, of them. Nice, nice sheets, nice towels, and they're sent to a little cabin type thing, and then out some time together. Candles so, and rose petals and yeah. Barry White playing over the stereo. Escape and, you know. kits, you know, to leave the guy <laughs> out of prison. But, you know, those things. But I, I wasn't aware that this is a thing. Apparently, though, this wasn't a thing for Ted Bundy. Like, he didn't have access to those visits. So, I was quite enjoying the idea of him sawing a hole into the ceiling of a lodge to be found <laughs> and to escape. Well, so the, these are actual things that some prisoners have, but he didn't. And it's thought that inmates were in this particular jail. They were known to pull their money together to bribe the guards into allowing them time alone with their female visitors. So they're now bribing guards in order to be able to you know, have sex with them, basically. And this is how the child was conceived. I see. It pales in comparison to his other crimes, though, I suppose. Well, Bribery. it's romantic, though, isn't it? It's romantic. But it's not, now we've got a little, a little Bundy running around yeah. in 1981. That's a bit of spice, doesn't it? A bit of spice to make, so I stood behind bars. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Let's bribe the guards. You think they're going to explain that story to the kid? I don't yeah, think so. Maybe. But maybe, you know, we started out saying that where Ted went wrong was the fact that his grandparents lied to him about the, his relationship with his parents and his mum. We can't be committing the same error with, with the kid. With Ted Bundy's kid, you've got to be honest about the nature, who, who your dad is, who your mum is, you know? I wonder if it is actually his, though. Maybe she lied to him. Maybe. Did it look like him? You know, I'm not sure. Is, is, has that daughter grown up to be a serial killer? All I'm saying is it's a shame that they discontinued the Jeremy Kyle show. Otherwise, we'd find it an episode of Watch. 
Jerry Springer out there, isn't it? Jerry Springer. It is. Those are the days. Um, by 1988, okay, so this is seven years after his daughter was born. Just quickly moving seven years there. Right? <laughs> seven years, all his appeal uh, routes had been exhausted and an execution date of January the 24th, 1989 was announced. So he's managed to prolong this, managed to stretch this out as long as possible to the point where it's now eight years later, seven or eight years later, uh, to the point where he's explored all the different legal routes that he can and now a date's been announced. Bundy had no further motivation to deny his crimes and so he decided to start confessing and yeah. decided to actually start saying, yeah, I don't know, I did do the crimes. I'm sort of banged to rights here. And he now starts talking to reporters and writers and that kind of thing and he confessed to eight of the Washington and Oregon murderers um, where he was in, as he puts, his prime. He was in his prime then. So insensitive. I think his prime came in Colorado. But I mean, Bundy Bundy knows his career best. Yeah. Bundy knows best. Bundy knows. <laughs> That's the name of this podcast. That's the title, yeah. yeah. Bundy oh. knows best. Oh, God. Oh, wait, no, I, I, mis- I misread my notes. <laughs> he confessed to eight of the Washington, Oregon murders where he was prime suspect. <laughs> but... I think I did read about him talking about being in his prime. It must be a different bit. See that in the bloopers. <laughs> Those that interviewed him were stunned by the misogyny of his crimes and the rage against women. He had no compassion at all. And his murders were almost seen as his life's work. Like that is in itself. It's like, oh. Bit, you know, bit, he's a bit of a dodgy character. There's nothing we didn't know already. I think at that point, he's got nothing to lose. I wouldn't expect him to show any compassion because it's been so long now as well. Like, it's just 1988. Sentenced to, is it electrocution? Something like that, 1989. And we're talking about crimes that he committed in the mid-70s. But it's life's work. Yeah, no, it's just wrong, isn't it? It is is, is just wrong. And there's the the old arguments to be made about whether it should be glamorised in Hollywood kind of folklore and and, and things like that as well. Those arguments were raging on at the time, I remember. I didn't actually watch the movie, but they were raging on at that time and i think it's 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 educational more than anything else isn't it i think so yeah i think i think it can be perceived as that detectives saw this divulging of information as a way of him trying to delay or postpone his execution so actually was this confession a tactical decision was it about trying to say well you've got to keep me alive because i've got more information here so you've got to keep, you know, maybe give me a better deal, maybe push this execution date back. He's starting to buy himself some time, perhaps, here by saying, no, I know things that you don't know, that kind of thing. And again, trying to flip the control as well there. Because he's in, they're in control of his destiny, but he's also wanting to try and regain a bit of control back and say, well, I have the information here, you need me. Yeah, didn't he police try and get in contact with, I think at the time there were only six bodies that they hadn't recovered that they knew about obviously with time it became more when uh, details transpired i think at the time there's only six and either the police or bundy tried to get in contact with the families of these six people to say should we keep this guy alive longer so he sings like a canary so we can have a better chance of finding these six bodies of your kind of relatives because he's got nothing to lose now and every single one of the six families said no. They didn't yeah, want think, that closure. They didn't need that closure. I think it was one of the, his female friends, like grown close to a female friend who was like a law student or something. And she was now trying to convince these families to petition to keep him alive. Longer. That was it, because she was referred to in the article or whatever as a Bundy supporter. Yeah. A Bundy supporter went around. Like who, who's supporting him at this point? But the decision... To execute him was on a knife edge, wasn't it? Mm. It was a tie, was it not? I think so, Which yeah. is interesting, because I don't know the ins and outs of that either, but it's obviously become clear at this point when he's confessing and everything that he did it. 
and he did a lot more. But I think the vote to execute him was tied at six all, which is not something you'd expect in America, where yeah. they've got a gung-ho attitude towards the death penalty as opposed to here, where it's illegal. Yeah, it, it does seem a bit strange. I'm not quite sure how that happened. I, I think it was, like you say, six all and the jury, and I don't know who had the final decision on that. I assume maybe the judge. But Bundy supporters began lobbying for a pardon. And Diana Weiner, maybe, I think that's her name. Weiner, Weiner. Um, her <laughs> Bundy's last known love interest begins asking the families of the victims to petition for the execution to be postponed so that Bundy can reveal more information. Boone also uh, championed Bundy's innocence throughout his entire trial. And so she then felt betrayed by the fact that he came out and confessed because she genuinely believed, seemingly, that he was innocent. Obviously, she's the yeah, mother of his daughter. Yeah, she must have been in pretty deep in terms of the feelings for him uh, to mm. buy all that bullshit, especially when it's a That's national amazing. trial. But, but even by this point, Boone is the mother of his child, but not his girlfriend anymore. And yet she's mm. still supporting him. There seemed to be almost like a fanatical aspect to a lot of his supporters. Like there was sort of, there was a lot of women support, a lot of female supporters, which is really yeah. strange for a guy who's killing women. Like, it's the fact just... that, we even talk about Bundy support. Like, what are you supporting at this point? Like, it, it, it's, it, it's exasperating. Unbelievable. Uh, so she felt betrayed um, by his admission of guilt, and she, in the end, refused to uh, accept his phone call on the morning of his execution. So she basically bolted, taken the child, refused to speak to him before his execution, which I think says a lot. And on the eve of this execution, he talks of suicide, saying he didn't want to give the state the satisfaction of watching him die. So again, back to control. Didn't want them to have that say of his life. He wanted control. Yeah, it's a common theme, isn't it, uh, throughout this? Even with the murders that he committed, with the escapes, it was all about control and the power dynamic. But at this point, like you've got to, the writing's on the wall for him at this point. The evidence is now, we've gone from... 10 years previous, flimsy evidence. Now we're in the late 80s and the evidence is stacking up. And even when he's got nothing to lose anymore and the writing's on the wall, he's concerned with his own destiny being in his own hands. Mm. And like, you're dying either way. So like, what does it matter? It matters because I want to be the one to do it. Well, interestingly, like, like I say, he talks of suicide. I often wonder, would he, have, would he have actually attempted? Would he have tried to? Because I mean presumably being put on suicide watch. I mean, they did that with um, Jeffrey Epstein. He still managed to find a way. But this is like back in the 80s or something. So I don't know how that works. If he wanted to kill himself, I'm sure he could have found a way of doing it. I'm sure he could have. So I, I don't yeah. know. Maybe it was his ego or so maybe that was preventing him. Like he didn't want to do that or who knows. Um, but then Bundy was executed in the electric chair at 16 minutes past seven in the morning. Quite an early, early start, that, isn't it? Quarter past seven in the morning. And televise it. Save the execution for afternoon, surely, given the morning. Give it a nice evening execution. You garner more uh, interest around it. Did you have breakfast down him at that point? I'm not sure. Is it a a myth that they give anybody on death row like any meal they want before they execute them? Is that a myth or is it an actual... I think there is some truth Hmm. to it. I think they've maybe had some cutbacks in recent years, but I think there is is some truth to that. You're not going to have a big hearty meal at that time when you've just woken up, so probably just... I mean, yeah, what do you have for something light, wouldn't you? You'd definitely go for a croissant. I would, yeah, have a croissant. You'd have a croissant. I have a croissant every morning, but if I'm getting executed at that time, I don't... You know, when somebody asks you the question, like, Mm. what would you have your own death row? And it's basically... What's your favourite meal? I wouldn't say a croissant, but if it's, if it's, what was it, 16 minutes past eight, you say? Yeah, 16 minutes past seven. I don't think I'd have anything at that time. I can't remember the last time I was awake at that time, but put me in an electric chair. You're just going to And I think I'd have been, I'd have been awake. 
but yeah. I wouldn't be. I just, I just have a croissant, an almond croissant at that time. I don't know. I might, might go muesli or, um, nice. you know, Weetabix, fuel for the day, something like that. I don't know. Like, well, I'd love to say that I go for a full English because you might as well. But they put beans on it. The beans. Yeah, they well, put beans on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I can't be having the beans. So it's a, <laughs> a non starter. Yep. He died quarter past seven, January 24th, 1989. Hundreds of people sang, danced, and set off fireworks as the execution was carried out. A bit early for fireworks, personally, but you're not going to see them, are you? <laughs> pointless and they then were then cheering this um hearse that came out and left the prison obviously carrying his body and that was the end of bundy that that was the end of that was always known of him i think he ended up having his ashes spread somewhere in the mountains or something as his wishes um were yeah uh, once again a absolutely horrific tale Mm. very graphic and a tale of police ineptitude time and time and time again. And I think that beyond the the gruesome detail of it, the thing that makes it worse is the fact that it got more and more progressively reckless and senseless. And it made, you know, he started out committing these crimes in a pattern and then it just became more and more impulsive irrational and it's his own need for control ultimately is his downfall because like i say if he'd just stayed inside for a little bit longer rather than trying to escape that second time he would have probably been free yeah i think evil to think isn't it 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 makes you uh, thankful for the advances that we've made in science since the mid 70s that now that if if he was if he was putting that shit now he wouldn't last a few days on the that was in terms of CCTV in terms yeah, of things and you don't DNA really have serial killers now, do you nowadays? No, it's it's a, they are a thing of the past, aren't they? Because of the, like police competence now, I'd mm. hope. I'd hope. Anyway, I think we will wrap everything up there. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Really do appreciate it. Don't forget to hit the like button, subscribe as well. We're trying to get towards 500 subscribers now on this podcast. Rate us obviously on Apple and Spotify five star. That'd be great. And mm. we'll see you next week for the next podcast. Special guest. Yeah. See you next week. But no, I won't. No, I won't. No, I won't. You're not here next week. I'm not. Week off. See you in a bit. <laughs>